HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I'm coming to you live from Smithereen Farm in the Hudson Valley. And I think I'm joined today on the phone by Duels Emery in San Francisco, is it? I'm actually in L.A. today, but good afternoon, Severin. Good afternoon. Nice to hear your voice. Yours Tell too. me, what's the weather like in L.A.? Um, it is hot and uh, getting hotter. It seems so. I have the fan on me, and uh, that's about it. And tell us what brings you to Los Angeles today. It's not um, necessarily the best place to go hunting, which is um, what I'm talking to you about today. What's your mission there? Uh, my mission is actually um, I'm on my way to San Francisco, where I'll be moving uh, to work in the food business. Um, but uh, apropos of hunting, I just packed up a cooler full of um, a pig that we called Audrey, which we butchered and made into charcuterie and uh, terrines and lardo and pancetta last week. So that's, uh, that was a fun adventure in L.A. And would you mind telling us about the life of Audrey? Um, Audrey, actually, to be quite honest with you, um, I did as much research as I could possibly do to get the best provenance for Audrey uh, possible, um, and she was supposed to have been pasture-fed and raised on acorns and as many acorns as possible and food scraps and uh, barley, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, we were, um, uh, we were frauded out by this woman who uh, actually sold us a um, CAFO pig, and um, it took us about two or three hours of talking to the USDA and the California, California Food and Drug, but we caught her, uh, which was kind of exciting. So we have, so Audrey does not have good provenance, and we were not happy about that. And the taste will not be the same. However, we figured we would put Audrey to the best use possible given the circumstances. And, well, how did you, how did you have this, what was this USDA interaction like? I mean, explain, the, um, please, in... in, in all detail that is necessary, how does a citizen call to action the regulatory bodies of the United States at a time it's a good 
It's a good question, because we thought that the USDA would be noncommittal and not interested in what we had to say. And in fact, they were noncommittal and not interested in what we had to say, but they steered us towards the California Food and Drug Administration. And they, once I got somebody that could actually um, articulate themselves, was, uh, were, were quite helpful. Um, but basically what happens is there are two types of um, kill plants um, that are regulated. One is a USDA plant, and I can buy from a USDA plant um, as a citizen and then sell to another citizen. Whereas when you buy from a state plant, you have to consume that animal yourself. So the, what, what was illegal about what, the, what this woman did was not that she bought it from a state plant, and it has a specific um, uh, tattoo on it from a state plant and a different one from USDA. It wasn't that she bought it from the state plant, which is in Chino, about an hour east of L.A., it was that she tried to sell it to us after that. So you, as a, um, as a consummate foodie and uh, devotee of all things cured and porcine, found yourself having to learn about the rules and regulations governing um, interstate commerce of pork products. And um, how are you going to use this newfound information, Dwolf? Um, are you, are you by, by any chance, radicalized by this information? No, I wouldn't say I'm radicalized. I, I feel educated because the next time I go about this, I will um, make damn sure that I go to the actual farm and that my questions are much more piercing. I actually knew which questions to ask, but I didn't, this woman who was fraudulent, but I didn't necessarily um, draw um, as, uh, the conclusions that she was fraudulent quick enough. Um, so I don't have any problem with buying a pig that's been slaughtered at a state plant as opposed to a USDA plant. I could care less. Um, but I do want to see where, how the pig's raised next time. Um, and be more a part of kind of the whole process. So, and they're probably not going to let me kill it, but they might let me um, accompany them to the state plan, and I can kind of see the whole process through. I mean, that's the well, kind of the irony about. Well, you can pig on my farm, as long as you eat it yeah. all yourself. I've got two beautiful ones down in the field, and they're doing a great what, job what eating all leftovers. It? Now, um, usually you're not you're not hunting for um, pasture raised pork in Los Angeles. Usually you're hunting for wild animals. And um, I recently had a chance to observe the, um, the, humble, teen, the humble teenage male of um, hunting experience. My, my younger brother came to the farm and, and worked on the farm for a month um, with us, and he was really into hunting and, um, you know, totally possessed by his um, bloodlust for turkeys and quail and everything that was running around in the forest. Maybe you could start with the very beginning of your own hunter experience and um, elucidate this instinct for us? Uh, it's a good point. Um, I think that the reason that hunting has, in my opinion, kind of gone astray in America is because you have, to my mind, kind of, um, you've got old men who kind of grew up hunting and understand the mystique of it and the, and the kind of rustic nature and the traditions and the ritual. And then you have what I call Walmart hunters who kind of want to kill something and, you know, flex a bicep and drink a Budweiser. Um, but what was important to me is not the bloodlust first. It's that you get as a product of going out with somebody that knows what they're doing and understands the traditions and the rituals, you have an equal amount of appreciation and respect and uh, dare I say, kind of um, a sacred um, pact 
that you're trying to understand and figure out and, and elucidate for yourself, and you're trying to kill something. So when the two come together, it seems dichotomous, but it's, I think each and every hunter um, tries in his or her own way to find a balance between those two things. So I notice, for instance, that I go out duck hunting with my father now, and he's 72 years old, and I still have the bloodlust. And he, for all intents and purposes, is just as happy watching the ducks fly in and go and come into the decoys, which sometimes he's made, sometimes he's bought in the 1970s and he's proud of, as he is to actually kill something. Now, if he you know, happens to be uh, gung-ho that day, he'll kill a duck and we'll eat it. But there's a, to me, there's a, a, a ritual that goes way beyond the bloodlust, and it kind of waxes and wanes between bloodlust and uh, a, a, a pact uh, between the hunter and, and what he kills. And it's based upon, obviously, the, the premise that he's going to eat everything that he kills. I'm back with Greenhorns Radio. I'm joined on the air today by Wolf Emery, a wonderful hunter and, and chef, friend of mine for a while now, and a fabulous talker on the subject of wild animals and, and, and the wild men who catch them. Um, let's get a little bit more into this bloodlust discussion, DeWolf, if you will. Um, what are the ways that we can temper our bloodlust um, and, and become, become hunters not only of the beasts, but also um, in our in our lives, what is it, what is it that the hunter has to teach the citizen? Is my question. Oh, good question. Um, very good question. I don't think it's about tempering bloodlust. I think it's about um, which is not to say that I disagree with you. I think it's about understanding that the bloodlust is just the most recognizable and maybe the most exciting, but certainly the not, not the most important part of a long process that the hunter goes through. So it's easy to isolate, especially with the TV and, and kind of consumer culture and the idea of conquering an animal um, or capturing an animal, to kill two or three deer in an afternoon with a rifle. Not hard. Much harder with a bow, but still not that difficult. What is difficult, and in some sense what will temper or bring greater respect to uh, the hunter of the animal, and this, by the way, is what the hunter can teach the citizen, is to take each and everything that he kills through a legitimate and respected process of eating what he kills. So, for instance, the first time I killed a deer, I didn't really know what to do with it except that, uh, you know, I knew what to do with the legs because the legs are fantastic seared, and I knew what to do with the loin and the tenderloin, and that was about all I knew. And I knew that the shoulder is, because they work harder than the legs, is not particularly edible because it's tough meat. But when you actually start to get into it 
and figure out, you, you kind of come to a pact with yourself that you've got to do something with that shoulder. You have got to make it edible, and you've got to do your best to enjoy it. Then something else happens, and you gain respect for the animal, and you gain respect for the whole process. And that, in fact, does temper bloodlust, but kind of um, in a uh, roundabout way. So I figured out, for instance, that I like to make um, terrines and sausage out of my shoulder. I'm not going to have a dinner party and serve the shoulder because it's full of sinew, and it's basically a tough meat. It's not particularly edible um, right out of even if it's well hung. But when I make terrines, and I had a terrine with shoulder venison for lunch, in fact, um, and I mix it with pork fat back, and I had some Madeira and some brandy and some dark cherries, and it was wrapped in bacon, and it was fantastic. So as I mature as a hunter, and frankly, as I mature as a chef, I figure out what to do with all parts of the animal. For instance, last uh, season, I... Uh, killed my first couple of deer with a bow, and I figured, well, I'm not doing anything with the skin. And what am I going to do with the skin? So I'm now tanning my first hide, and you tan the hide using the brains of the animal. And when you use the brains of the animal and the um, skin and then the shoulders for terrine or sausage, the loin and the tenderloin and the leg for either carpaccio or searing it rare, you basically use the whole animal. And then I take all the bones and I make stock out of it. So that one kind of um, symbolically representative moment of killing the animal is actually a very small part of um, what really needs to happen when you take the life of, of something wild. Okay, this is fabulous stuff, and um, I think you're making everyone who's listening drooling, drooling um, waiting for the moment they can turn off the radio and go out and, and hone their skills, but they have to start a little bit before the trigger gets pulled or the bow um, is uh, deployed. Tell us how they might best prepare themselves um, for the stalk um, that, that precedes the kill. Um, the best thing to do for understanding, it's not you don't really start with the stalk. The best thing to do is to go out into the woods and become as, you know, dress yourself appropriately, camouflage, take a shower beforehand so you're not, um, your scent isn't too much. And if you really want to go overboard, which is what I do when I'm hunting, um, I bathe with non-scented soap and wash my clothes and non-scented, you know, all this, this uh, and then spray myself down with non-scented stuff, and, you know, it goes on and on and on. Um, and then I cover my boots in raccoon piss and, you know, so that I, I smell as, as uh, uh, innocuous as possible. Um, but that's not really what's important. What's important to learn about nature and about getting out there.
welcome back to Wolf. Um, once again, to our radio listeners, this is Severin. I'm the host of Greenhorn Radio, which is radio by young farmers for young farmers. Um, we are thankful to our sponsor, Hearst Ranch, out in California, providing uh, grass-fed beef to happy, happy, willing customers. Um, DeWolf, we were talking about nature. Let's talk some more about nature and, and, and who your mentors were in the study thereof. Um, mentors are key in this. I, I mean, I, it's, it's not necessarily a masculine discipline, uh, learning to stalk and hunt in the woods, but it's certainly portrayed as such. Um, and I, um, certainly my mentor was my father. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say it's hard to get into hunting and have what I would consider a, a, a real appreciation or a proper appreciation for it without having had some sort of mentor that kind of showed you the ropes. Uh, and showing you the ropes comes from, uh, you know, how to respect nature and what to kill and what not to kill. It also comes from scaring you uh, about how dangerous guns are. I mean, I remember the first time my father fired a shotgun into the dirt just to scare me and said, you know, watch out. Um, so I, uh, I really got most of it from my father. From, I got the appreciation from my father and a lot of knowledge. And um, subsequent to that, I I've, I've teach myself a lot, and I read, uh, took some Tom Brown courses, um, survival courses, but basically it's just being out there. There's no excuse for not being out there as much as you can. Getting out there being the wood. That's correct. Yeah. And you don't have to have a gun or, or a uh, bow and arrow to be out there. You just need to be out there. Because every time you go out, if you ask, nature's going to teach you something. I mean, that's the kind of wonderful thing about it. You know, you might see a fox who comes up and gets about, you know, 15 feet from you, and then you glance your eyes to figure out whether he will notice if you move your eyes, which have been staring straight ahead for, you know, 35 seconds while he's come into your view, and boom, he's off. And you think, well, I can't do that next time. So every time you learn something, which is kind of beautiful. Um, well, let's, let's talk about your – we have very few minutes left, but let's talk about your favorite animals – to stalk and some of their tendencies. Like maybe you could talk, I don't know, I have a problem of, um, right now I have a problem of rabbits in my garden and I have deer in my garden. And I've been watching their behavior um, with a hope to be able to stop them from getting into my garden. Um, but I, I haven't succeeded thus far. Maybe you could clue me in a little bit onto the, the behaviors of the deer. Um, I'm not sure I can do that, actually. Uh... I might be able to clue you into um, the woods behavior, but um, supposedly I've never done this. But they say that if you um, one of the strongest um, smelling animal part, uh, parts of the human body is actually the hair, and so they say if you take um, kind of balls of your own hair and stick it um, on the uh, fence or whatever's uh, around your garden, um, that it kind of emits a smell that. Uh, kind of um, tell deer that there might be a human nearby. Um, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. We have a yeah. lot of girls, and we have a lot of hairbrushes. I think we could manage that. And they, right, and girls tend to use a lot more shampoo, too. Uh, and girls, I heard girl, the, the pee of girls is very good against deer, so we've been peeing diligently along the, the perimeter. That's it. That's it. Anyway. Um, tell us what you're going to hunt next, or 
or where you hope your adventure will next take you? Um, I'd like to hunt boar next uh, because I, I can't hunt um, deer or anything that is um, indigenous to the area until the hunting season starts in the fall. But um, boar uh, in California and in most states, actually, because it's an invasive species, um, you're allowed to hunt all year round. Um, I do find, however, that, that, you know, while I would jump at the opportunity to go hunting, I, uh, I kind of change my demeanor and my uh, posture when I'm, during the fall. So it becomes hunting season. And then in about February or March, when hunting season is over, I kind of tend to focus on other things. Uh, so I don't know if I will hunt any boar between now and hunting season. Uh, but that would be the next thing. I get the okay, well, we have to fill in the amateur. Why is it hunting season in the fall? What is the logic in that? Um, that animals are breeding um, in the... Uh, you, you basically don't want to... They're actually breeding already. Um, they're breeding in the spring, but then they are um, with young um, in the fall, and you can kind of decipher which ones. For instance, if you see a, um, a doe with um, ruffled fur, um, it means that she's, or ruffled hair, I should say, it means that she's been, um, she's got young ones with her. Um, whereas a sleek-coated doe in the fall um, is to say that she's barren, and that's, um, that's the doe that you should kill, um, which, you know, kind of goes against that we always want to kill the pretty animal or the big antlered deer. Uh, and that's actually not always the, the, the best move for protecting uh, nature. Well, I thank you very much for your time, Dwolf. I hope that we can talk to you soon again about your next adventures. And um, I wish you all the best in your, in your West Coast boar hunting. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Severin, as always. Ciao, ciao. Thank you, everyone, ciao. for coming to join us, Greenhorns Radio, every Thursday at 4. Um, you can also visit us on our blog, www.thegreenhornsplural.wordpress.com for young farmer-relevant news, banter, politics, video ephemera, and much, much more. We are here at your service to serve the young farming community of America, and we hope to do so um, until we are no longer young. Many, many thanks, and talk to you next week.